0: Have you ever felt like chasing success only leads to unfulfillment? Are you chasing the temporary or living with an eternal perspective? Be careful, it's easy to live life like you're chasing the wind. Over this three part series, Pastor Jimmy teaches from Ecclesiastes on how you can live a life with meaning and purpose. All right, hey everybody, welcome to Grace Life. Do me a favor, help me welcome all of our first time guests both in the room and online. So glad to be worshiping with you guys. Hope you're experiencing the presence of God. Nothing more important. Amen? Hey, before we get into the message, two things. First of all, happy Father's Day. Come on, let's celebrate all of the dads in the room. I love Father's Day because I get to be in charge of what I eat for lunch today. Bacon wrapped filet mignon at my house, just so you know. But not enough for you, so don't come go get your own. Sorry about that. And if you chose tacos, that's your fault, not mine. It was Father's Day, you should have planned better, but (laughs) there you go. Hey, the second thing is, uh, as you just heard, Serve Day is coming up this Saturday. It's a part of our Summer of Serve that takes place all summer long. But this is one day we come together, and uh, we've got outreach projects, different types, different styles. So you may say, I want to do this, or I want to do that. I don't like to do such and such. So go to website, go to the app and find the one that would work best for you, go ahead and register so that we can plan uh, to be most effective at that. But we will actually meet here this Saturday morning at 9, 9 a.m., and then we're going to go make Jesus famous all over Columbia. So that's going to be a great opportunity. want to encourage you to come out for that. Well, we are in a new series. We started it last week. We will end it next week. Short little series, three parts, three weeks, three big ideas, and the series series, I can't talk, I promise, is called Chasing the Wind. It's a study from the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, we started last week with the title track of the series. We also called that Chasing the Wind. We're looking at two big questions. What are you chasing and why are you chasing it? And uh, it turns out that if we don't have the right why, then all of the what is meaningless. If you missed that, I want to encourage you to go get that online or on our app, because first of all, those two questions are so important for us to answer if we want to live a life that is not meaningless, right? But the second reason that I want to recommend maybe you go and see that if you've missed it is because how you see the author's state of mind will completely determine how you read this book and whether you enjoy it or hate it. I've got a friend that says Ecclesiastes is his favorite book in all the Bible, And then I've had a staff member about two weeks ago tell me that they hate Ecclesiastes altogether. And many people are somewhere in the middle and say it's a very confusing book. It all comes down to how you see the author, who you think the author is, and how their state of mind is. And so I went to great lengths in part one that I'm not going to repeat each week at helping you understand the author's state of mind. If you missed it, I'll just give you this little teaser. I preached from a rocking chair while drinking sweet tea. So if you missed that, maybe that'll encourage you to go catch it. I personally believe that the author is King Solomon. Uh, The author doesn't name himself. He simply says that he was one of the great kings of Israel. But many of his descriptions lead most people to believe that it was King Solomon. And here was kind of his point. Whoever, Solomon, or if you choose another king of Israel, says, "I, I had it all. I had every pleasure And all of the stuff that life could offer. Been there, done that, got the t shirt. And I found myself asking, what's it all for? And the book of Ecclesiastes is the telling of his observations about life on earth and the journey and his answer, which I believe is the right answer to what's it all for? If you remember, his opening line was a little confusing and maybe depressing if you read it by itself. He said, look, vanity of vanities, everything's vanity. It's all a waste. <laughs> Isn't that a great first line if you want to sit down and read something? But he, he explains that if we, if we chase wisdom for wisdom's sake, it's a vanity. If we chase wealth for wealth's sake, it's vanity. Pleasure for pleasure's sake is vanity. And significance for significance sake is vanity. But then says, but go and enjoy life. Whoa, that's uh, How exactly do we do that? And I think that's really one of our great struggles that we're going to talk about today because many Christians struggle to enjoy life without guilt. I mean, y'all know what I'm talking about. Like if you grew up going to church, there is kind of this message. You've heard the sermons. You've heard preachers kind of at least speak in such a way that it implies if you're having fun, you are not being godly. Somehow the two can't go together. You've heard the sermons that say, don't sin, be holy, don't think too much of yourself, don't spend too much of your, on yourself, and pleasure is fleeting, and so on. And we get the idea that there's no way that we can be close to God and smiling at the same time, right? And that's the reason, by the way, that many non-Christians don't want to be one of us. Because we've given them the idea and they look at us and they hear those sermons that if they become one of us, they've got to say goodbye to smiling at the same time, right? Because everybody knows Christians come here every week to frown and go, woe is me, I am miserable. How do we enjoy life? I grew up where this room and here at Grace Life, we call this room uh, an auditorium. It's, it's just a warehouse that we've converted and we come and sing songs in every week. But I grew up going to a building that called this room the sanctuary. And that's okay for people who do that, that there's nothing wrong with that. But it certain, certainly gives you the idea that that room then is holier and closer to God than every other room. And, and, and here's the thing, if God's, God stays in that room and if that room is closer to God, and that's where you can't do anything fun I mean, do y'all remember saying, don't run in the sanctuary? Anybody told you that when you were growing up? Don't make loud noises in the sanctuary. You're laughing too. Don't laugh during the sermon. It's like, seriously, the closer I get to God, the less fun I'm supposed to have? That's a dilemma. And so if Solomon, I believe Solomon, is telling us that the author of Ecclesiastes, hey, go and enjoy life. Then how do we enjoy life without all of it being vanity? Do you think God really just made us so that we could be miserable? Uh, I hope your answer to that is no, so please tell me how we can change that. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at what Solomon discovered about life. How can we enjoy life without all of it being a waste? Again, I'm going to jump around a bit to show you so much of what he had to say You can try to follow along if you want, but it'll be easier if you just look at the screen. We're gonna start with something he said in chapter three, verse 12. He says, I perceived that there is nothing better for them being us, mankind, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, and also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Now, the funny thing is, this is, Chapter 3, it's 12 chapters long, and he spent almost all of the first two chapters that we talked about last week. And vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Meaningless, everything is meaningless. Oh, by the way, (laughs) go and enjoy life. And it seems a little confusing until you understand what he's actually trying to say. Chasing all of this stuff that he talked about in chapter 1 and 2 for its own purpose and the wrong reasons, now that's vanity. But enjoying life the right way He actually seems to think that it's God's idea for us and it's God's gift to us. He didn't say it just once. He goes on, another example in chapter five. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given to him, for this is his lot. And everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possession and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and then rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. If God's given you stuff enjoy is what he's trying to say. And he could not have made his point more clear as he begins chapter six. If a man fathers a hundred children and has many, lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. He names the two pinnacles of, of life in ancient culture. During ancient times, really everybody dreamed of two things, and that was fathering many children and living to a ripe old age. If you could live to be one of the oldest people in the village, and if you had the, the, the most children in the village, you were the hero. That's what everybody wanted to grow up and be like. And he's saying, look, if you could have what everybody dreams of, but you don't enjoy life, it'd be better if you were a stillborn child. And I want to stop right now and just address that statement in light of how some of us may hear that statement in our culture and context today, because what some people may think that Solomon said, and I want to make sure that no one misinterprets what I'm saying, nor what Solomon said, nor go home and read Ecclesiastes and misinterpret it and allow the enemy to lead you down another path of thinking. What some people think that he just said was, if you're not enjoying life, it'd be better if you were dead. And that's a lie that the enemy speaks to people in their souls sometimes when they're having a really bad day. And it's actually a lie that is pervading our culture right now that says if you're not enjoying life, you'd be better off dead. That is not what he said. And I want to make sure no one hears that and allows the enemy an opportunity to lead you to his will for you and far away from God's will. That is not God's will for your life. Y'all with me on this one? Here's what Solomon was saying. Life is hard. Life comes with struggles, life comes with pain, life comes with hard days. If you're not going to enjoy the good days, it'd be better if you never had the bad days. It'd be better if you were never born, which is what a stillborn child is technically considered. Are you guys understanding what Solomon meant? He's like, if you're going to to go past day one, if you're going to experience what it's like to have sickness and to have things not go your way and to have questions you can't answer and to go through some of the pain of life, then you should at least enjoy life's good things his point is very clear and very true God created us and gave us life so that it would be enjoyed not just endured anybody with me on that one Yes. that was the most pathetic response I have had all weekend long (laughs) Just, I'm just going to, can y'all imagine God up in heaven going, I want you to enjoy life, and out of a whole room, four people like, oh, okay, amen to that, good, good. The rest of you must apparently like the idea of being miserable. It, I don't know about that, pastor. I like my misery. Okay, let, let's try that again. God created us for life so that it could be enjoyed, not just endured, and all God's people said. Yeah. You know this is off my notes, but there's a whole lot in the Bible about what we what we expect from God is what he does and 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 so I just when 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 the Bible says God wants good for us, I think we should you know be a little exuberant in our amen there so anyway, enough of that here's the thing so the question that we're going to answer today that we're obligated to answer is uh how do we enjoy life that God has given us that the the author of Ecclesiastes wants us to enjoy. So I'm gonna give you two little phrases, both of them are two words, to help you do this. And, And they're so simple that you'll be able to remember them, but they're so simple, you'll wonder why I get paid to do this. But here we go. The first one to help us enjoy life is enjoy more. Plain and simple, enjoy more. Look, if you are one of those people who struggles with religious guilt to enjoy your life, I set you free. I give you permission. You've heard it in church. A pastor told you it's okay to smile. It's okay to laugh. It is okay to enjoy the life that God has given you. Stop being like a miserable old Christian that nobody wants to be like. Just quit it. God wants you to enjoy life. And so if you'll allow me, I'm gonna lead you down the most logical thought process in the world, biblical and logical at the same time. Why would God's ways, and what I mean by that, God has told us how to live. Everybody knows what? To, God has told us how to live. He's, he's set that out for us. And, and God's promises, which he's also set out for us if we live according to his ways. Why would God's ways and God's promises lead to so many rewards? That is what they do, by the way, if we're not supposed to enjoy those rewards. Have you all ever thought about that? Why would the way God made us and the 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 way that he tells us to live and the promises that he gives us lead to so many rewards if if enjoying those rewards is not godly. Think about this. Proverbs 21 says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. Abundance, by the way, not a complicated word. More than you need. It leads to more than you need to simply survive. What is the diligent? Let, Let me just explain this as simply as I can. It means being proactively hardworking. You see, the Bible, again, God's ways gives us ideas. Some of God's ways are be diligent, work hard, have a good work ethic, because what people think of you, they will think of Jesus since you say you represent Jesus. God's way also says, look, don't work like you're working for man. Work like you're working for me. Whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. You hate your boss, good. You have no excuse because you don't work for him or her. You work for Jesus. And so the Bible tells us God's ways are be faithful, God's ways are, represent him well, which means do not show up 10 minutes late, everybody. I get it, you do it in church and you all show up by the end of the second song, but whatever, (laughs) don't do it when you're going to work. I mean, here it's all okay, we know we love each other, but out there, be the first one there, be there on time, do a good job, act like you're representing Jesus everywhere. Here's my point, if you work hard, if you work as though you're working unto the Lord, if you are faithful, if you are honest, it says you're gonna have abundance. You're gonna end up with more than you need. Proverbs thirteen four says, the soul of the sluggard crazed and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied, referring to our mind, our will, and our emotions. Now it's not just your stomach and your paycheck that has enough. You are fulfilled because you have lived according to God's ways. Let's just look at some of God's ways. God talks about money, right? God says, honor him. He takes care of you and honor him as your provider with the tithe, giving back to him the first of everything he gives you. What does he say to do? When you do that, he says, I'm going to bless you until there is no more need, not no more want, not no more just barely getting by. Way beyond need, you're gonna have more than you know what. To do with your needs are taken care of, you begin to only satisfy wants. So then you say, I've got too much, what do I do with that? Well, the Bible says, let's share, let's be generous. So you decide I've got too much for my needs. I'm going to share and give to somebody who has less. But then the Bible, God's way, says that if you give to the poor, that God says you just lend it to me and I'm going to give it back to you. So here we go. If we work hard, we do a good job, we're going to have abundance. If we try to give some of it to God and honor him, he says, I'm going to give it back, and then you're going to have abundance. And so we try to give it away to poor people and then God says, I'm going to give it back to you and you're going to have abundance. Apparently, the idea of having money to enjoy life is not all bad because it sounds like it's God's idea for us. How about physical senses? Has anybody ever just stopped to think about the way God made us in our world? Like taste, smell, sight, hearing. I mean, let's just take taste for a minute. Do you understand we do not have to have taste buds? We do not have to taste taste. To, to actually survive? Like, that is totally a gift of God for us to enjoy life. The idea that when you bite into a, a piece of steak, when filet mignon is in your mouth and you get a tingle all the way down your spine, that's the gift of God. <laughs> I'll prove my point rice cakes. <laughs> Now, there is an aisle in the grocery store that I avoid, and on this aisle, there is something that either does not taste at all or apparently tastes like styrofoam. (laughs) People buy this, people eat it. And I'm pretty sure by now, with all that our world has come up with, that you can get these flavorless, styrofoamish type of things that are already injected with all the vitamins and nutrients you need. Here's my point you can live all the way to 90 without your taste buds, you will survive. It's the gift of God that we can put dark chocolate in our mouth. <gasps> I love practical illustrations. So whoever it was that was clapping for dark chocolate right there, this is coming your way, so that's good. Okay, well, all right, that's good. But here's the, I noticed this. I've done, this is the third service, I've done this. And if this were a baseball game, we would be climbing over each other going, me, 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 I'm catching the ball. But in church, everybody's like, you, you, you. And all the chocolate hits the floor. But here you go, I give you permission Go for it, all right? Here is chocolate for everybody. And so for people who love dark chocolate, I'm gonna try again. I tell you what, here's the problem. I'm good at eating chocolate, not good at throwing it, so good luck with that. And, and some of you, you have defective taste buds and you don't like dark chocolate. I have other stuff. I have milk chocolate and I, I don't know what this is. I think it's white chocolate. But anyway, hey, there are people way back there. Let's see how far that goes. And uh, way over there, let's see how far that goes. Oh, right in the head. I'm sorry, man. Gotta use these hands up. Come on, everybody. Pay attention in church. That's what happens. If you're not paying attention, you're going to get hurt. And woo! good luck with that. There you go. All right. So here's the point. I want you to take those, put them in your mouth right now. Mm -hmm. Nobody's cheered for me for that yet. I don't know, but that's okay. I want you to To let the taste make the rest of the message better. Connect the taste with the stuff. I do that at home. I get my hot tea and my dark chocolate, study the Bible. I mean, it, it just makes everything better. How about sight? Have you ever thought about what God allows us to see and how he made that? Do you understand God could have made us two steps above legally blind? We only needed to be able to see fuzzy objects and not run into them. Like not bump into a wall, not run into you and break my nose. That would have been enough. I could have made it all the way to the end of life, just kind of feeling my way around, kind of, oh, fuzzy object. Let's go this way. You know what I mean? That would have worked. But instead, God gave us the eye and the colors and sight. And here's an example Birds. Birds are amazing. Birds are so colorful. I love it. I sit on my porch. We got a little hummingbird feeder. Did you ever notice they got a little green stripe going down their back? And then you've got the little blue jay and you got the red cardinals and everything. See, here's the thing. God could have made every bird look like a crow. (laughs) Every bird could have been solid black and it could have still fulfilled its purpose in the ecosystem. It could have done whatever it needs to do. It could have still flown. It could have still been there, but God made it beautiful. God allowed us to see. Have you ever looked at the colors of a sunset as, as, as there's oranges and reds and pinks and they're all coming together? And, and how about a rainbow, everybody? I mean, that literally could have been a gray stripe across the sky. <laughs> how about sound? God could have made us to where we could just barely discern each other's voice, kind of like everybody is Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. And, and to hear a car horn so you don't get run over in the street. That would have been enough but he gave us ears that have incredible responses of frequency so that we can hear the lowest notes and the highest notes of a beautiful Mozart symphony or the Bee Gees, if that's your preference, whichever works for you. But God gave us sight, he gave us sound, he gave us so many things that we could simply enjoy life. How about emotions? You don't have to be in touch with your emotions to make it to the end of life and to to survive and to go to work every day. Some of you work with people who are not in touch with their emotions, and yet they show up every day. It's very clear. But God gave us joy and happiness and sadness so that we appreciate the happiness and peace. And God made us for an experience on earth all the days of our life, as the author says, that is meant to be enjoyed. Enjoying life is God's gift to us. Are you guys with me? Enjoying life is God's gift. There's the problem. Just as soon as God made life to be enjoyable, the devil said, I think we can steal that. See, anything that was meant to be enjoyed has always got some sort of counterfeit or, or been hijacked by the devil. And thanks to the sinfulness of mankind, we unfortunately have a problem enjoying life because we know that those pleasures have been corrupted and taken to be used for another purpose. And so the true statement that we need to understand is that all pleasure needs to have boundaries in order for that pleasure to be maximized and not live a life of vanity. Did you guys hear that? You see, all pleasure has to have boundaries in order for that pleasure to be maximized and life to not be meaningless. And let me give you just the simplest example that we can all understand. Chips and queso. I don't know. I'm in a food mood today. Just go with it. (laughs) But we all love chips and queso, especially when you go to a really good, authentic Mexican restaurant and the chips are housemade. They come out crispy, but still hot. The salt is fresh, just the perfect way. And then cheese. Oh my gosh, how amazing is the queso? And see, here's the problem. If you really want to enjoy chips and queso, you have to eat three and run. You have to get as far away as you can. But we don't do that. Because what ends up happening is we love the flavor so much, we ask for a second bowl of chips. Then we turn the queso uh, bowl upside down, and we're scraping out the last bit of queso to go on a chip. And an hour later, something inside of us wants out a different way than it came in. And it feels (laughs) like we're going to explode. And we're going, that's not maximum pleasure. Because tortilla chips grow when they get wet. And we're probably not supposed to eat cheese in the first place, but that's a whole other message for another day. If you want to enjoy chips and queso, you've got to have a boundary for maximized pleasure. Everything that God wants us to enjoy does come with God's boundary on how to do that. How about sex? God says the pleasure is maximized in a lifelong relationship between husband and wife. Where the emotional and the physical and the mental and everything, the spiritual journey, it all grows together. Look, as a pastor, I'm going to tell you, I've spent a whole lot of time trying to help people heal from trying to find maximum pleasure the other way, and it was never maximum. Matter of fact, it began to get worse. How about food? God gave us food to be enjoyed, but unfortunately, if we don't learn to say no at some point, that we end up with a lower state of health that takes away from our ability to enjoy the rest of life. How about rest? There's nothing better than after a long week, a good long week, or just a good long Saturday of yard work, that you crawl into a hammock with a glass of lemonade and you just enjoy the breeze and rest. But that requires a boundary too, because if you never leave the hammock, if you always rest, then you won't have a job. And you won't have any money, so therefore you won't have any food. And look, laying around in a hammock when you are poor and starving is not a maximized, pleasurable experience. How about money? We've already said God God just, he like keeps giving it if we do it his way. And so yes, he's our provider and and we have enough for provision. And then it seems we even have enough to go beyond our provision to some of our wants. But, But Solomon told us even doing that is all meaningless. Well, because there's other purpose to our money. One of those is God told us to go and make disciples of all the world. There's a mission. And so when we start to use our money to advance the kingdom of God, maybe through the local church or through a missions organization, or maybe you do something like, you you hear the youth are going to camp, but every teenager can't afford to go. And so you, you pay for a teenager to go and actually the reason that they can't afford to go is because their parents don't go to church. And so their parents aren't about to pay for one of those dumb religious things, but you pay and the kid gets radically saved and their life has changed. And I'm gonna tell you what, you're gonna have some maximum pleasure right here at how you spent that money. And then when you start to see uh, the way that you can be generous, there's a family never been on vacation, young couple in their 20s. Come on, anybody who's past their 40s, you remember the day when you couldn't afford beans and rice, Right? And so th- there's no vacation for the, the two-year-old and the, and the baby and the family, and you see that, and you go, well, I can take care of that now. And that two-year-old gets to go on his first vacation. You look at the, the, his face, and you say, wow. And when you sit around, and you realize all of my bills are paid, and I'm enjoying a nice steak, and that family went on vacation, and that kid got his life saved, that's maximized pleasure of how we spend our money. That's what it's all about. <clears throat> Maximized pleasure requires God's way. Because if we just keep chasing pleasure for pleasure's sake, that's what Solomon said, all is vanity. And so that leads us to the key. What is the key to enjoy more? And this this is not a caveat, it's a key. And really, I should have preached them in reverse order so that you understood the one I'm about to tell you is the foundation for them both. But I'm doing it last because it's the most important. And I don't want you to lose sight of this one. If you really want to enjoy more, then we have to learn to enjoy God. Because he's the one that made us to enjoy more. And the more that we enjoy our creator, the more that we're gonna enjoy creation. Matter of fact, Solomon observed, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Thank you, Solomon. You've said it at least four times now. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, God, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? See, it all comes down to understanding the one that made it all for us. Is anybody here familiar with the marvel of the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Anybody, you, you know those pictures at least, and don't raise your hands if you've been there. I'm jealous, I don't like you. <laughs> but, but, but here's the thing. I, I'm gonna, for those, there weren't many hands, and I, I, I knew some people would be you know uh, curious about this. So we're gonna show you just a few seconds of, of some video at looking at the grandeur of the Sistine Chapel ceiling. Everybody take a look at the screen right here. A- a- and please understand that that is not a computer printout. This was hand-painted mostly by one individual called Michelangelo. What an incredible work. Did you see that? I wish we could have taken time. I wish you could stand there and look up and get a little closer and just be amazed at it. But when we think about the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel and we look at those things again, it should just make us go wow for our sound and our sight and all the different things that God allows us to do. But here's a little bit about this that you may not be aware of. First of all, Michelangelo never wanted to do that. It was a job he actually tried so hard to get out of when the Pope asked him to do it, he ran and hid from the Pope. He tried to deliver it so I could find him, but you know, hiding from the Pope in Italy is not exactly the easiest thing in the world to do. So eventually he had to surrender and go agree to paint this. And, and he had hoped he would really not have to do much of it, but hire a bunch of people to help out. But there was so much dispute over the payment and where the funds were coming from, he found himself basically painting the entire thing by himself. And it took him just about four and a half years. Matter of fact, He was so against the idea of doing this. His primary reason was, I'm not a painter. Are you kidding me? Did y'all see that? And that's for a guy who says, would you let me do what I'm actually good at? Well, What are you good at if that's what you're bad at? Are you kidding me? And he hated it so much because we have the idea that it was like a a day in a hammock. Most of us believe that he was up on scaffolding, lying on his back and just kind of painting with his legs crossed, you know, but... Only reason we believe that is Hollywood and Charlton Heston got it all wrong. The truth is, he did stand up on scaffolding, but he actually had to stand with his neck leaning back so that he could look up and paint over his head so that every time something fell, it landed in his beard. And he hated the experience so much of four and a half years of looking up like this, he wrote a poem and one of the lines was, I've grown a goiter from all this torture. (laughs) That's kind of funny, (laughs) there. The reason I tell you all that is because, wow, Isn't that marvelous? Now I want you to imagine, we all take a field trip together. Grace Life Church goes to the Sistine Chapel and we're all standing there. But This is a cool field trip because we're gonna blend a little field trip with a little time travel. That makes everything a whole lot better, right? And so we're actually there just after the last brush stroke went up. Matter of fact, some of the paint is still wet. They've just removed the scaffolding from the room. And we walk in and we're all standing there going, wow, amazing. And somebody comes up to you, one of the hosts, to say, we've got a special treat for you. Over here to the side is a room. If you go through that door in that room, you get a special treat. I've been told. I've never seen it myself, no one's ever seen it, but I've been told it's amazing. But in this room are more of Michelangelo's works, more of his paintings, even some of the sculptures that he's so proud of, that's his first love. No one's ever seen them, but you can go into that room and see more of what you've just seen. But you have a choice. On the other side is another room with another door And if you want to, you can go through that door instead, but you need to know there is no artwork in that room. Nope, in that room is just Michelangelo. More of the creation or time with the creator. Which would you choose? See, I think it's a no brainer and I put in my notes, it's a no brainer. But then when I was going over my notes with the staff, one of the staff members says, funny, I would have chosen the other room. And then it hit me. Many of us would choose the other room for various reasons. Some of it is because we have fallen so much in love with creation, we just keep chasing creation. And we're just after more and more pleasure of creation. But then other people, it's not so much that they would choose more creation as they would avoid their creator because not everybody has a personal relationship with God. Matter of fact, some of us are in a place where we we think God is an angry judge up in heaven waiting to strike us with lightning, doing everything he can to put a rule on anything that's fun to take all of the fun out of life. And I get it. If you told me Michelangelo is hiding behind the door with a baseball bat, I'm going to the other room. If that's your idea of God, no wonder that you are missing out on connecting with your creator. But here is the point. Our enjoyment of creation is meant to lead us to our creator, not more creation. Y'all get that? The great pleasures of the world around us and all of the enjoyment that comes from creation is meant to lead us to our creator, not more creation. If you get to lay on a Caribbean beach, white sand and blue water and looking at the palm trees and the breeze blowing and someone like an angel shows up and says, hey, I've got a treat for you. Here's a door you can walk through and you get to spend as much time as you want. Time will freeze. You could spend as much time as you want walking on three Caribbean pristine beaches that have never been touched. Matter of fact, The human eye can't see them, so these are uncharted islands. Only I can take you there in the heavenly realm. You can walk on three Caribbean beaches no one has ever seen. Spend as much time there as you want. Or you can go through this door, and God is there. And you get to say, God, how did you come up with white sand that's like powder? How did you come up with a place that the temperature stays perfect all year? Why so many types of palm trees? And, and why are those little birds yellow? And how is the water so clear? I mean, what, what was going through your mind? Is that, God. If you go out to eat dinner at your favorite restaurant, unfortunately, a lot of us draw on to seconds and thirds and second desserts, which is okay. But it's the most, supposed to make us go, God, thank you for the ability to taste all of this. And that's amazing that you've provided for me enough to do this. And if you and I did go to the Sistine Chapel together, it's not meant to make you go, wow, how beautiful art. It's okay, that's true, do it for a minute. It's also not meant to make you go, wow, Michelangelo, that's okay, because he deserves it for a moment. It's really meant to make us go, wow, God, how did you make mankind to paint that? Wow, God, you are so good to us. How did you give us the creativity? Like, wow, God, imagine what we can do with you, the way that you've created us. Creation is meant to draw us to our creator, not more creation. That's how we get maximized pleasure and enjoy in life. To give you maybe a very practical way to do this, if I could, I want to give you A little story from my own life. My wife and I, as I said in part one, I just want to—I'm just still kind of there. It's fresh, so I'm enjoying this. We just spent a week in the Caribbean uh, celebrating our 25th anniversary, and and we were in a special place in our heart. I think some of it has to do with when you're looking back on 25 years, as well as if that means you're in your mid to late 40s and and you're just at a place in life where you're starting to do two things a little more than you did before. And I want—I want to advise you to use these two words if you want to get the most out of enjoying life, and that is awe and gratitude and as we were there just allow me a moment as we were there we were just filled with both awe and gratitude and part of it is because we were supposed to be at the Sistine Chapel but due to COVID and Italy and the borders being closed we thought oh well I guess we're just going to have to go to our favorite restaurant And then things opened up and and it just all kind of came together at the last minute. And we booked a place that was supposed to be beautiful, according to the pictures. It turns out that was going to, it was not as, as it said. But God saved us because the lady had double booked it. And she wanted to protect her five stars on Airbnb. And so she scrambled to find us another place. And so she had a friend who had this private two bedroom house with a swimming pool all enclosed in a wall, all across the street from the same beach where. President Trump and uh, the CEO of eBay and Walmart and I just say all of that to say it was a nice beach, y'all. And we could have never done that. We didn't even know it was there. And we got to this place and just said, "Thank you, God." And we just started looking at life. And we would we were on the side of the island with a sunset, and so the sun would set right where we were, and we would watch all of the colors and just go, "God." You're we just started talking about what a, what a privilege it is. How blessed are we that, that we're here? Like, we get to do this. We've got great godly people that take care of our kids. We've got great kids. We've got four kids. We love them that we can't wait to go back and see. Five days from now, not right now, but five days from now, we, we love our kids. God has blessed us with them. Great food experience in the moment. Are y'all seeing what I'm saying? We just spent so much time going, we are so blessed. We are so blessed. God, you're so good to us. But before you misunderstand, I was only there for one week. And the rest of the time, I'm here. And we have to learn to have awe and gratitude in every day of our lives because there are days where I wake up down the hall from those four kids and I wake up early because one of those kids. And I go downstairs and wonder, I'm not sitting on that couch because of those kids. You see, it's not just on a caribbean vacation where we find awe and gratitude matter of fact we had a lady here in grace life who has been around since like there were 10 of us so so long time relationship here and over the last couple of weeks had something arise that could potentially be cancer and and as soon as we heard she's in the hospital and and it looks like cancer we went oh my gosh and as we've known her for a long time and as pastors we kind of have a oh my gosh and so we we get some pastors down to see her and she's the happiest person in the room because her answer is like God's got me and Solomon's point is every day won't be a Caribbean vacation enjoy the good days because we will all have tough days but remember that God got you through the tough days So sometimes you can say, thank you, God, for the Caribbean vacation. Other times you can say, thank you, God, that you got me through today. But we can always say, thank you, God, you are so good. It's all about enjoying God so that we can enjoy more. Which brought Solomon to his conclusion in chapter 12. And I told you in part one that one of the reasons we struggle with the book is because we read it in pieces. And we read a sentence like, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, and run off to work. And we're like, oh, that's no, I don't want to read that book. But if you read it all in one sitting, if you ever get from beginning to end and you notice all of his observations, he hints at the answer multiple times. And then in chapter 12, he just flat out tells you what it's all about. Here's how to enjoy life to the fullest. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near and the dust returns to earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it let me tell you the end of the matter all has been heard fear God keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man in other words enjoy more by enjoying God God's ways work enjoy God and you will enjoy more. And I believe you can't do one without the other. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, today we simply celebrate your goodness. You are a God who has blessed us. And today we wanna say thank you, God, for how good you have been to us, that you've carried us through the hard times and you've given us the great times. But God, we also wanna take a moment and just confess to you, we understand this world is broken There are lots of things that don't go our way. Solomon noticed that too. There is sin. There are things in our own lives, in our own soul that take our eyes off of you. And and so God, we just confess there are many days that we have looked at the brokenness in the world and we have not thanked you for the good things that you have done. So God, I pray actually that for every one of us right now, you will cause us to be people who are filled with awe and gratitude over who you are and the life you've given us both on the really easy, lottery-winning, take-a-vacation days, and the tough doctor has no answer, oh, God, help me days. We need you, God. And we thank you that you made life for us to enjoy by enjoying you. If you are just staying in a place of prayer, I want to talk to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. You see, There's a simple truth. We are living in a broken and fallen world. Because of that, none of us are perfect. And that thing that comes into our lives, known as sin, our imperfections, it separates us from this wonderful God who's created everything for us. And well, as we said, it's really hard to enjoy creation removed from our creator. The good news is that separation from God, it's been fixed if you want it to be fixed. Jesus came, he died on the cross. He paid for your sins so that when you receive the free gift of salvation, and by that we mean the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life with him, all is made right. And then we can enjoy our creator and enjoy the life that he's given us. If you've never made that exchange, I wanna help you do that right now. Wherever you are, simply pray something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I want to live for you. I thank you that I am loved. Thank you that I'm forgiven. In my simple prayer today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom? Amen, help me celebrate with those people, everybody, amen.